Hi, this is Rob Carmichael with Mainly Matters and another segment on business and leadership. I'm really pleased to have as my guest today, former UMaine baseball coach for all the Maine listeners and current head coach of the Stetson University Hatters, Steve Trimper. Steve has been coaching baseball for over 20 years. He's a motivational speaker and most recently the author of his first book, Walk-Off Winning, A Game Plan for Leading Your Team and Organization to Success. Steve has been coach of the year in three different conferences and his most recently, his 2018 Stetson team finished in the top 10 nationally, set many school records amidst uh, winning uh, a game, a uh, school record 48 games. Steve and his wife, Lisa, who is just about as energetic as Steve is, I can tell you that. Uh, they have twin girls, Allie and Morgan, who are both students and members of the University of Maine women's hockey team. Uh, welcome, Steve. Yeah, Rob, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a great honor. Um, obviously, you know, you and I go way back from all of our days at UMaine when I was there, when I met all the, the Maine Savings folks when you were there and uh, are still are there. And uh, really appreciate you having me on. And congratulations on all your success with the Leadership Podcast and everything you've been doing. Well, thank you. And, and we look for, for people like yourself, proven leaders. And you, as you said, uh, I've known you for quite a while. I've witnessed uh, your uh, coaching on the sidelines at the University of Maine. You've spoken to our organization on leadership, uh, as well as many other organizations. So I'm really excited to have you on. This, this podcast, one of my goals is to try to impart leadership uh, lessons and uh, lessons learned throughout uh, organizations and for young people who might be listening. So you're just an expert uh, and a perfect role model on this topic. Um, how to, before we get going, let's talk a little bit about the baseball season just briefly. You guys are 10-0 right now, off to a good start? Yeah, we are. You know, um, it's it's been tricky this year. Talk about, um, you know, your your skills and leadership and and uh, and just attitude and some of the things that are important values to happen. I mean, with all the COVID that we're all dealing with, you know, it's it's a different world for all of us. And certainly, you know, I feel like a rookie coach. Um, the baseball part's easy right now. It's getting through six feet and masks and locker rooms and, you know, staying away and COVID testing. I, I just got out of my fourth test this week because we have to play tonight. But uh, but no, we're up to a good start. We're, uh, like you said, we're 10-0. Um, had two signature wins this past week over – uh, number 18 in the country, UCF, uh, which is our local rival non-conference wise and, um, got ourselves ranked for the first time this week in the top 20. So we're kind of excited about that, but we, we do have a, a tough stretch coming up. This is our, this is why I said, we got to make some hay here. We, uh, we got, uh, South Florida this weekend. Then we head over to Gainesville to play the Gators. And then right from the Gators, we head up to play the Crimson Tide up in Alabama. So, uh, this is be some really good test for us, but all in all, it's going well, the guys are playing well. They're, they're finding ways to win. Um, you know, I always said a good organization, uh, a good team, a good program, they find different ways uh, to get things done. And, you know, you can find ways to kind of work yourself out of adverse situations and deal with adversity. And, you know, uh, we, we've been playing great defense. The other night we made a couple errors. We don't pitch that well. We give up a couple runs in the eighth inning. And what does the team do? They turn around and score four runs, three runs, and we go up for the lead and get the close. So we're finding different ways to win. So I think that's a testament to our players and uh, and their skills that they have right now, just not on the field as a physical skill, but their mental skills they also 
uh, Gary. Well, and I'm and I'm sure that uh, it's it's certainly a testament to you and, and your coaches and the leadership you provide this this year in in every organization and in particular those of you in the athletic world uh, certainly has been trying and has tested probably every aspect of leadership <laughs> and every trait that you you speak about in the book and you've talked about on the lecture circuit. I'm sure. Yep. Yep, exactly. So it is. But, you know, uh, I think that we always use the term, you know, uh, you know, what doesn't break you makes you tougher. And, you know, so some of these things, you know, I've always said this, Rob, is it's really easy to lead an organization when things are going great. You know, your sales numbers are up and, you know, people are just buying everything off the shelf. You know, that's easy. You know, what happens when you get a little adversity? And that's where I think you're, you're, your organization has to shine through, you know, some of the crisis management that you have to deal with. And we deal with that in sport and we deal with that in life. And we certainly deal with that in the business setting, you know, each and every day. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the book. Let's kind of use the book as a guide uh, and and through the conversation today, use that book. We'll talk about some of the aspects of it. It was an outstanding book. You know, I I think about it, the, the anecdotes and the metaphors, uh, as you go through the book, are are extremely useful. Uh, they're user friendly. Uh, they you make it very clear and concise in terms of how to apply those. And and I think that as as you just mentioned, one uh, in your introduction part of this, you you make it uh, very clear that you say less inside baseball and more inside leadership in the book. Let's just talk a little bit uh, sure. about the the book. What prompted you to write it, and uh, and how you got started with it. Yeah, it's a crazy story. And in fact, you're a direct attribute to the books, uh, you and Maine Savings. Um, and, and I'll tell you how this all came about. So, you know, I, I get the UMaine job back in 2006. You know, I'm 36 years old. I'm excited to lead, you know, the powerhouse program of the Northeast in college baseball. And, uh, you know, up until that point, I was, you know, I'm trying to be the best coach. You know, I'm going out there. I'm doing clinics and I'm learning all about the bunts and I'm learning more about how to steal bases. And I'm just, I'm just trying to out recruit people and outwork them and be that young, you know, aggressive workaholic coach and, and, and certainly led to some success. So I get the main and I carry that into it. And I start for my first time in my career. Um, I had a great athletic director that hired me, Blake James, who's now at the university of Miami, um, really taught me a lot about the program organization, you know, what you have to do. It's not just about baseball. And, you know, at Maine, we had to try to raise dollars. I mean, we, as coaches, we helped out with Blake and Blake did a tremendous job and he's obviously got a great track record, um, at university of Miami also. So, you know, I reached out and started, um, you know, trying to, to, to get as much as I can in the, in the business world and try to learn from everybody and try to raise dollars. And, and quite honestly, selfishly, I'm, you know, given a name and go meet with this guy that is, is a bank CEO or go meet with this person who owns a roofing company. And I'm walking in going, you know, we just got to try to get some funding for our program. In the meantime, I'm trying to become a better coach. So I started to read all these coaching books. I'm reading Coach K's book about success and Bobby Knight and, you know, all the guys that have written all these X's and O's books. Well, real quickly, I found out that right underneath my nose is some of the most successful people, whether it's sport or business and their leadership skills. I started to say, you know, forget this raising money stuff. I'm gaining so much value talking to a guy like John Reed at Maine savings or, you know, Kevin Griffith who owns 
main roof company, you know, or any of the other, you know, successful business people that we had, not only just in the state of Maine, but around the Northeast. Um, you know, I, I can't, I, I remember vividly going to, to many breakfasts with Herb Sargent over at Sargent Corporation and sitting down and talking about his organization, his business, how he built it from ground up. So I'm starting to pay, take these leadership books that are sports and throw them in the garbage and be like, I'm going to use the people I have. So I started to regurgitate that back solely for the team and making them better. And lo and behold, Maine Savings asked me to come in to be my first official corporate speaking event. I remember um, I that clearly. <laughs> I think we were over at the Black Bear Inn and we had a room full of tellers and and we just kind of went through some of the points that I had. And it was like my first time even making a PowerPoint, I think, at that point. And, uh, you know, and, and I really enjoyed doing it. And what ended up happening, Rob, is, you know, your organization uh, recommended me to another one and to another one and to another one. And so I just started to really get into the corporate speaking world from oh maybe 2008 all the way through until 2016 and did probably 200 of them just small little companies all the way to new balance or ford motor company or something huge wyndham resorts and so uh but every time i did it everybody was always like hey where's your book we want to get all this stuff and i'm like i don't i i can't write an email let alone a book <laughs> so yeah here's a flash drive copy my powerpoints and you know give me a call sometime i'll walk through it with you well, I kept on going, and towards the end of my tenure at Maine, I got a chance to meet uh, a really good author that's that's pretty popular out there in the leadership business world named John Gordon. And I met him at a convention that he was speaking at. And John Gordon has written some really good books like The Energy Bus, Power of a Positive Team, The Carpenter. I mean, he's, he's a bestseller in many of these fashions. And um, you know, I said, Hey John, you know, I heard you speak and, and he actually heard me speak. And I said, I'd like to try to write a book. How impossible is it really? He's like, look, just put your mind to it. You know, give me some pointers. And I started taking notes and, and getting going. He goes, after you have some stuff down, give me a call. So lo and behold, I was like all motivated. I come back, I start writing in September of 2016. I'm taking notes on the, just a document. And a few short months later, Stetson calls me and says, Hey, you know, we'd like you to be our head coach. And I, left in the middle of the year and I kind of put it on hold um, and until I got down to Stetson and got established. And then I find out John Gordon lives about an hour and a half from Stetson. So, you know, we reconnected and he gave me some more pointers to keep going. And, you know, originally Rob, the book was going to call, you know, walk the walk. Are you a doer or a talker? And the publishing company changed the name to walk off winning. But my whole point was, is the preface of the book is so many people talk a big game. Like they talk about values. They talk about these things. Every business we speak at, you go into them, they have a whole set of things on the wall. <laughs> There's, you know, energy and attitude and, you know, integrity and all these words. But do they really do them and do they actually get to them or are they just average to those things? And so for me, I was like always kidding. Like, ah, one day I'll write a book. One day I'll write a book. So I think I kind of just tried to put my money where my mouth was and put my head down and tried to write a book. And and um, ironically, I, I was writing all different times. I was writing in the mornings at 4 a.m. I'm on the road recruiting that summer. Once I signed with the publishing company, Wiley, which is John Gordon's publishing company. And I'm, I'm you know, getting up at 5 a.m. in a hotel, <laughs> writing a chapter and going to recruiting at 9 o'clock. And, and uh, it just kind of came together. And it's basically, it's, it's 19 chapters. It's, it's basically a set of values. Not that you can do all of them, but they're some of the most important 
um, lessons I've learned and really not from sport. It's from all the people that I've been around in business. And what I've seen is work for that company or organization in helping develop their leadership, their success. And uh, I just kind of told some stories of how I learned those from certain different peoples. And, you know, there is some sport in there and some little bit of baseball stories. But the majority, like I said, is all about uh, the companies and, and the successful people I've been around. Well, and that's what struck me about the book is that, uh, and, and by the way, uh, pardon the pun, but you hit it out of the ballpark with this book, in, in, in my opinion. It, it's it's one of those, it's almost like you think about the lunch pail sort of um, mm-hmm. blue collar aspect of things. You boil it down into things that make sense, things that are common sense, and, and it's all based around values. It has to start with values, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward. But I, I was reading in the forward by one of your, one of your mentors and, and friends, Charles Johnson, the yeah. uh, principal owner, uh, retired principal owner, uh, I'm sorry, the retired chairman and CEO of Franklin Templeton and principal owner of the San Francisco Giants. And he, he, he speaks to how Ben Franklin recognized hard work, integrity, and persistence as essential to success. And so that seems to be a theme throughout your book. It is. And, and you know, I've been very fortunate to, to build a relationship with Charles Johnson. His grandson is actually my general, uh, my uh, um, GA, my graduate assistant. And um, I learned a lot from him. And, and you know, the reason that it was called Franklin Templeton for all those years, now it's Franklin Resources, is because he valued um, Benjamin Franklin's um, traits and values of, of, of persistence. And we know all the sayings that Franklin has. And um, he taught me a lot about the hard work. And there is a common theme there, Rob. You know, when you when you get a chance to sit and and I didn't realize how valuable it was sitting with Harold Alfont, <laughs> you know, and being a 36 year old guy and having him tell me stories about how he built uh, Dexter shoes or Larry Mahaney, you know, two very famous Mainers um, that, you know, obviously with Weber Energy Fuels, you know, th- those guys were just hardworking, persistent people. And. Um, obviously it does take, um, everybody to pull their weight. It's not just one guy's bigger than the whole program. And we can get into some of those, those aspects as we go on here. But, um, you know, the harder you work and and the other thing too, is it's all about your attitude, your energy, and what people want to follow you. You know, attitude is so contagious. So if we see Harold Alfond out there, you know, putting some leather to get leather together on a shoe, or you got Larry Mahaney driving a pickup truck, to a, to a site to, to change out an oil tank, there's the owner of the company or the CEO that's doing the exact same work. And, you know, I take that principle every day and on what's much smaller scale with our baseball team where, yeah, I'm the head coach, but one of the most magical things that I get impressed with and I have so many comics comments about in our program is at the end of the game, you will see 35 busy bees going and taking care of the field. Our field was ranked the number one field in 2018 and 19 in college baseball. It's a, it's immaculate down here, but we have full-time grounds guys, but our guys take care of the field. Like they go out there and they rake the clay off. They pick up the cups and here I am doing the same thing. And we all pitch in because um, that attitude, that energy that you put off, if it can be positive, it's contagious to the next guy. So just when that one player thinks he had a rough day and he struck out, and he's not feeling so good about himself. He looks out. He sees everybody pulling their weight. He just jumps in. And then, obviously, when everybody's doing a little bit, it turns into a lot when an organization can all operate on the same 
uh, eight cylinders as you move forward. Well, it, it, you mentioned when when you were when you were at Maine uh, in Maine, like many uh, institutions of that size, particularly in in athletics, you're doing a lot lot of jobs as a coach. You you are, uh, you know, you're 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 shoveling the field off. There's an anecdote in the in the book about <laughs> getting the team. You've told me about that as well. Getting all players uh, and and everybody who would lend a hand out to shovel a field so you could yeah. you could have a game or you could have practice in the winter and the fundraising and in the uh, the things that you do that maybe larger schools with more resources don't have to do. But I'm sure that has played an impact in, in how you lead and in, in the values that you've gained. Uh, moving forward it, it, it does rob and i'll tell you why is is um you know it could be as little as shoveling the field off or having the head coach or the ad or the donors or the players helping out pitching into some story like that's an anecdotal story but what it does it leads to the little things down the road like are we all doing our bunt coverages and we're on time you know some of the things that maybe aren't as fun are we are we able to work as a team in the office and get those quarterly sales reports done because they're due you know, so everybody pitches in and, and, and shows that they're all part of the team. And the other thing, too, Rob, this leads me into another point um, that I write in a book about. Um, and, and I'll tell you, when you write a book, um, if you're fortunate enough to get with a good publishing company, and I was with Wiley, they assign an editor to you. Now, my editor, Vicky, was unbelievable. She she doesn't do first-time authors. That's what's clear. <laughs> she, she has John Gordon and the bigwigs. And she was great. She taught me so much about writing. And, and uh, I love the fact that when I first started writing chapters, you know, they send it back in track changes. And, you know, a typical chapter, they want it to be 4,000 words or less because they, they, they want to keep your interest and move on to the next topic. And, you know, I was getting about 1,000 track changes per chapter when I first started writing. So I can tell, show you how terrible of a writer I was until she taught me about writing. But I bring her name up for this reason. She's done all the leadership business books for Wiley. That's her job. And I sent her the chapter about ego. And the name of the chapter I called it was, you need to have an ego to be great. And she's like, Steve, I got your chapter. And boy, oh boy, man, you know, I, I, I read all these books and, you know, everybody talks about humility and no egos and check them at the door. She goes, I'm scared about this chapter because it's real. And I said, you know, Vicki, just hear me out. And, you know, the next day she calls me and she's like, that was awesome. Like, that's your best chapter. She's like, that made so much sense. And no one has ever written it that way. And Rob, why I bring that up is, is I believe you have to have an ego to be great. I, I, I have the best pitching coach in the country. As much as I like Billy James at Miami, and he was a great mentor, I have the best AD at Stetson in Jeff Altier. I have the best president in Chris Rolke. I have the best shortstop. I have, the, like, I've convinced myself this is the best. Okay. And, and so my ego comes out. It's not arrogance. OK, it's confidence that this is I, I brought them onto my bus. I brought them onto my team. I brought them into my organization. So I saw something in them to make them great and help them become great. And I think so that's your that, ego. Yeah, that's a great point. The ego doesn't necessarily mean arrogance. And I think sometimes people confuse that or, or uh, conflate that with with arrogance. And, and you mentioned confidence and you mentioned some of those other other traits that go along with it. And then that chapter I noticed some of the the breakdown of that chapter. Crank up your ego, think big, circle the wagons, invest yeah. in values, build the team's confidence, tone people yeah. down, not up, and, and stubbornness can be a good trait. All sort of go to that that theme that you started in that chapter. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, ironically, 
um, I talk about that over and over again about having that ego. But once I get my organization set, once everybody's invited in, that's where the ego disappears. Like it has to. So like you got to start with egos. But, you know, it's okay for the head coach to pick the cups up. It's okay for the starting shortstop to rake his position. Um, I tweeted something out last night on my Twitter account that meant the world to me. And, of course, it gets blown up because I think people get it. We took batting practice on the field yesterday. We have a fifth-year senior, Georgie Arenas, who started every game since he's been here and returned for his fifth year with the COVID restrictions. He's been a four-time captain. He's been the A-Sun uh, first team All-American, all the things that he's got going on. And I snapped a picture on my phone yesterday. He's doing the ball bucket during batting practice. Okay, so so he's out there, the guy that when everybody's batting the balls and then you put the screen out in center field, it's always the freshman duty to do it. It's always the non-starter to sit out there and collect all the balls. Georgie did the b- bucket yesterday for an hour. You know, there's there's he, he knows he's good, <laughs> but inside our organization, you check that ego at the door, and everybody pitches in. And that's where that chapter really hits into, I want people to think they're great. But then when we get here, we all do a little bit to help the organization grow. And, you know, I, I think that this is where I don't want to confuse readers about that because you do read a lot about humility. And certainly once we get that here, you know, the most important people on my team are number 33, 34, and 35. It's easy to coach Georgie Arenas. He's an All-American. I need to get the last three guys to feel part of the program, to feel empowered, to feel a worth of that. The the most important person is my grounds guy. At night when we're done and the people come in to clean our offices and clean our locker rooms at 10 p.m., I need to value those people because those are going to be the ones that make the little things happen. It makes makes the the program continue to go. And so they're just as important as the head coach or Georgie Arenas is starting shortstop. And that's where that ego gets checked at the door. Absolutely. I I was thinking back to, as you were mentioning that, uh, a service – experience i went to a, a seminar three-day seminar down at disney world and one of their tenants is that everybody picks up trash it doesn't matter whether you're the ceo the vice yep. president or somebody playing mickey mouse if you mm-hmm. see trash on the ground it's your responsibility to pick it up and the the example you gave is leadership is about uh, not what you say it's about what you do and and your mm-hmm. your star uh was a star pitcher uh, exhibited that Obviously, when when he's trying to set an example for the other players, uh, let me just yeah. uh, ask you, Steve. I, I I had a career in the military. Uh, you've been in coaching. There'll be people out there that maybe uh, haven't played sports or haven't been around sports, like uh, you and I have been all our lives, and might say, "Well, what are what are these coaches? You know, what do they know about my business?" Mm-hmm. And uh, would you address that? Talk a little bit to that. Yeah, you know, I, I think what I've learned is um, military, um, the school of music and Broadway shows, um, corporate world, and certainly the sports world, they're all intertwined. You're running an organization. That's really what it comes down to. And and a good leader can jump in and run a bank and then can come over and be a, an athletic director and then can come and run a Broadway production show. I think that a good leader knows how to manage manage people, manage the organization. And so, um, you know, and that's why I think that when someone sees a coach that wrote a book, they're starting to think about the X's and O's of the sport where, you know, I have been blown away. And what really motivated me to write 
was the parallels between all of these different facets and these different traits that we have out there. And, um, you know, I, I, let's put it this way, Rob, I feel like if I had you with me for six months, I mean, your background in leadership is off the charts. I mean, my gosh, you're a general, <laughs> you know, so, and you've, you've basically run a very successful business. And, and that just goes to show you right there. Why are you so successful at main savings? Well, because you have great leadership skills. So I know, Rob, I could grab you for six months. The easy thing is going to teach you how to teach the bunt and coach third base. I mean, that, that's easy for me to do. But what you bring is all that leadership capabilities. And that's way more value to me in an organization than teaching the X's and the O's. Um, you know, I think you can teach somebody the skill set that they, as long as they're motivated to learn, it's more of those intrinsic values of of, of uh, leadership that are very important that cross over between sport, the business, to the military, to, to to the arts. It can go on to different fields all the time. Absolutely, and I and I think you make the point very clearly all the way through the book. Uh, you know about situational leadership, the ability and the in the uh, requirement to be able to adapt. Uh, and all of those things to the situation that you're in. I remember when I first came in uh, into the banking business, having retired from the military, I think people after a while were, were sort of surprised that I was in the military. I think they expected to me, me to be this rigid, um, you know, sort of dictator type stereotype that they maybe have seen in movies and, and all of that stuff. But uh, you have to be willing and ready to adapt to whatever situation you're in and apply those leadership principles that you bring with you. Yeah. And, and in exactly. your book, we, you start every chapter has a coach's challenge exercise, what mm -hmm. I think is a great way to wrap up each chapter. It sort of mm -hmm. refreshes everybody of what they just went through, gives them some things to think about. And you start out chapter one talking and you hammer this through the book that I thought was great. You talk about values and the flow chart of success that traits, to values, to goals, lead to true success. Uh, talk a little bit about that, if you will, and then we'll. I'd like to go through a few of the chapters and highlight a few sure. of the chapters that I thought were really powerful. Yeah, you know, I, I think that what I've learned is, you know, organizations in general, no matter what trait, what field it's in, they're they're really excited about building leadership. Everybody wants that. You know, they they want to sit back and reap the successes, the true success. And so they kind of dive into it. And I really feel like from what I've learned, they muddy the waters a lot by overindulging. I say that don't overindulge in your values and traits. You, you see, I, I think what it starts with is everybody, when I walk into a business and do a speech, I, the first thing I do is I go there prior and I say, Hey, what's, what's like your core values? I always ask that. And they're like, well, Steve, check this out. You know, we, we paid an organization or we came up with these over time and look at on our wall or everywhere which is great. You do need to post those. <laughs> you got to get them up there. But I usually see something in there about um, values. And then I see, you know, strong culture and I see success. And I feel like they're all muddied together where the first thing you need to do is you need to know that there's values, traits, and characteristics out there. And you got to come up with the ones that are the most important to you after your organization decides, and you can't overindulge. And what I mean by overindulging, I'll tell you a quick story I share in the book that's very important. In 2018, we had tremendous success here. And there was really, uh, I felt like a rudderless ship. There wasn't a lot of things going on. Everybody was working on 2017 when I first got here in different directions. So prior to the start of that season, we invited everybody back. And I said, I want you to give me one important value you think is, is going to be the staple of this program. 
Well, when you ask 40 people, you're going to get probably 30 different words. So I took in our newly renovated players lounge and I made a big wall wrap and I put every one of the words on that wall. And it said toughness and grit and Omaha, which signifies, you know, where the college baseball team wants to get to the end of the year. Um, you know, mental toughness. I mean, everything up there, integrity, character, everything went on that wall. And so there's all these words. And I said, all right, great guys, that's fine. But do you understand that on that wall, we cannot be all those things. That's impossible. We're going to be basically average at all of those things. I said, I want you to kind of fine tune that. Don't, indul- don't overindulge. So they went back in that room and did an exercise for me. It came out with 10. And I said, that's great. Still too many, my, my opinion. So they come out with four an hour later. And we have integrity, blue collar, character, and excellence. Those are words that we decided as our program. And they're on our wall. They're on our letterhead. They're, they're, when I say on our wall, they're in every locker room. They're in your locker. We put those in a dugout. So that allows us to focus on those four things. So if we weren't excellent that day, we can say, hey, guys, we, we talked it. So now we got to walk it. We got to walk the walk. Integrity, what does that mean? Well, don't tell me that you can miss a class or cheat on a test because that's not what integrity means. Like we can't have this stuff happen. So we try to be excellent at those four because if we have a chance to shine at even one value, it now starts to build a culture. Okay. You can't have leaders if no one's going to follow the values. All right. Otherwise, they're just talking the talk. So my whole point is, is that a little pyramid I do is get those three or four or five values, not 15 or 16 of them, and then start to engage your organization in those and point out times that we're not doing it and how can we improve and think, see if you can master it. So, so let's just think about commitment. Well, commitment is picking up the trash on the way in the main savings every day at every, t- every, every location. Well, wait a minute. I'm the CFO. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like you got to be committed to that right now. So if everybody does that for one month, that you're going to show commitment top to bottom. Okay. Check that one off that list of four. So now you're starting to build leaders because they're following these values. Once you have good leaders in place, then you start to have a strong culture. So we can't, confuse those all in one big flow chart in one chart there's a flow chart that goes from one step to the next and guess what that culture constantly changes why people change employees leave people get drafted in sports and go on to different and there's new teams coaches leave so there's always it needs your attention constantly to go back to that original core values of what you have the military is the best example i mean the military does not have you know, 30 values up there, you know, they use honor code, but like that's it. And that's what you're following. And, and you're al- not going to. Yeah. You know? I've always, I've always learned and, and felt that values are sort of that roadmap, the the road that you stay within those boundaries in your culture. You, you create the, the values and they, they're like your boundaries of, of how you uh, go after your goals and how you yeah. eventually hopefully reach that true success. You keep those, yeah. those are all part of the culture and keep you on the straight and narrow, if you will. And you're right. Yeah. You can't, you can't focus on 15 values. You, you've got to have something that people understand and can live on a daily basis. Absolutely. Let, Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a few of the chapters. <laughs> if we can get, get them all in with the time that we have, we chapter. let's just chapter three is one I really like. And you mentioned it. 
this is uh, it is something you just walk and talk uh, your passion yeah. it's attitude and the power of a handshake is the title <laughs> yeah I love it yeah you know i think that if if i had to pick one value that's important to me it's attitude um i just think that if you can bring a positive attitude every single day you're already ahead of the game like people will gravitate towards you all right. People, if I walk in with the Monday morning blues into to my organization, everybody is going to walk away from me. If I walk in like I, you know, my my team just won the Super Bowl and my daughter just got married and, you know, Monday is great. Everybody's gonna be like, what's he drinking? Like how much cup of coffee did he have? They're going to gravitate towards you. So I think that attitude is so contagious. And, and I do this little um, when I speak publicly, um, you know, to organizations, I, I say <laughs> handshake is all it takes because. What I do is I bring someone on stage and I say, I've never met you before. So let's say it's Rob Carmichael. So I say, Rob, you and I, let's just introduce each other like we normally would. And I put my hand out and I'd probably be an arm lace away. I say, hi, Rob, Steve Tremper, nice to meet you. And you would go back and be like Rob Carmichael. And then I say, let's role play for a little bit. I'm going to do this with high energy. Like, I, like you were, I'm going to pretend you were my high school buddy and I haven't seen you in 20 years. And I'm like, yo, Rob, what's up? And instead of giving you a regular handshake, I kind of do you know, a fist pump. And then I grab your hand. I pull you closer and I put my hand on your shoulder, like a little hug. And a hundred times out of a hundred, a person does exactly what I do. They touch my shoulder and I stop at that point in the speech. And I say, stop. And I say, I'm going to ask you a question. Why are you hugging me right now? And they're like, because you did it to me. <laughs> like I had to. So like my attitude just shows the whole crowd. And, and I get this all the time where, you know, a guy scores a run and our, our players, you know, they practice these crazy handshakes if you ever see it. Like, they're kicking each other's heels. And obviously, COVID has kind of put a restriction on this because you're not supposed to be around each other as much. But these guys score a run. And they're, like, all excited. And they're and, they're, and I'm, like, want to be part of it. And so I'm, like, hey, great job, guys. I'm, like, coach, give me some skin. And they're doing this handshake. And I don't even know what the heck I'm doing. But I'm following along and looking like an idiot doing it. But I'm trying to copy them because I want what they're drinking. I want the Kool-Aid they're drinking. So, yeah, the attitude can it is so contagious inside that organization. Now, it's easy to come in when everything's going great. Your daughter's got married that weekend. You know, your Super Bowl team won. What do you do when it doesn't go so great? Like, yes, what there's, happens there's when one part of it you mentioned you called fighting through the muck? Yep, yep. We're all going to be dealt with muck, and you know what I mean by that is is you're going to have to have your own attitude and change it around. You gotta you gotta fool yourself. You got to be, a, I always said, I got to be a chameleon some days. And, and I'll give you an example in the sport world. You know, we're playing South Florida tonight. Big game. Okay. Big game. Well, I'm dealing with over budget today. Before I had this call, my ADs on the phone, figuring out how we're going to pay for testing. Um, last night, I lost one of our biggest recruits on a phone call to an ACC school. Um, you, you know, uh, our, uh, you know, there's, there's like six things going on. If I show up at batting practice today with my head down and being like, oh, man, this really sucks, the kids are going to be, they're going to play like that. So I have to change my ways. I have to be a chameleon. I almost talk about I have to fake it till I make it. I got to fake it today to get out there and be like, hey, this is the greatest day. Let's change it around. This is the most important three hours of my day is being around these people that I'm going to influence. And so I think a good leader will understand that, you know, you're not going to have a false sense of security. But you're going to be able to change your attitude around and get focused back on those values as quickly as possible and ask yourself, am I being excellent right now? Do I show integrity? 
am I being tough with our word blue collar, you know, and, and getting through this tough time because tough times don't last, but those tough people do. And what is a tough person? It's someone that could actually follow their values. You know, I, I talk about that in the next chapter about everybody like faking it. And this kind of gets to like, what do you do in adverse situations? You know, one of my biggest pet peeves, Rob, in sport is when everybody shows fake toughness. It's not real energy. It's not from the heart. It's not genuine. And I see it in football. And I'm going to pick on our good friend, uh, Blake James at Miami down here in Florida. And you've been down here a lot watching these. I mean, college football is it. I mean, they just arrive. Oh, it sure is. Oh, so you get Miami and Florida State. It's a big deal. And people come from all over the place to go to those games. And what do you see happening in warmups? If you get to the, to the ballpark early, the, the stadium early, you see the punters punting and the quarterbacks in their shorts doing their warmups. And, and Rob, you were a football player. You know, you go out and you get, you get warmed up. And then it's choreographed. They all go back in to get the uniforms on and they all kind of meet at the 50 yard line and the cameras start rolling and the drones are flying and you got 60 players in each team finger point each other from 20 yards away. Right, we're going to kill you. We've got you. We're gonna, hold me back. <laughs> hold me back, man. We're going to take you. Hold me back. And you got coaches that are like, Hey, everybody down, down, down. Let's calm down. That's all fake to me. I, you know what? Let them go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's see you guys really do what you're talking about because guess what's going to happen? You're all going to get penalized. You're all be suspended for the game and multiple games. Your university is going to now lose games. You're now going to go below 500. You're not going to go to a bowl game and you're going to lose millions of dollars because of your fake toughness. So that's, that's, that's not real to me. What's real is who stays locked in, who goes, who can follow their core values in adverse situations that's mental toughness that's i remember toughness my my football coach at, at maine jack bicknell uh, who yeah. many will remember went on to coach boston college and doug flutie he used to tell us in the pregame warmest that he didn't want anybody yelling and screaming if they didn't feel it he didn't <laughs> want all this fake rah-rah yep. stuff he wanted people to 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 really exhibit yep. uh, what they felt and if they didn't feel like yelling and screaming that wasn't that wasn't part of uh, what he wanted to see. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk about. Uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit sure. as we getting close to time here on uh, the keep chopping wood chapter. I like that yeah. chapter twelve. Yeah, I tell you that that's that's all your work ethic, right? There. That, that 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 chapter is one of the greatest lessons I learned between our two, you know, great Mainers in in Harold Alfond and Larry Mahaney. And I was fortunate enough when I got the job. Both were still alive in 2006, and they really wanted us to be successful, you know. And they would, and, and it wasn't about a monetary number. It wasn't about building a Mahaney Dome or a stadium. It was all about the leadership. And I and I didn't realize it at the time what they were doing for me, but they were teaching me toughness. They were teaching me value of work. And Harold told me a story. My first two times I met him, and he's in my. I never forget it. He's in my office, and he was talking about being a Mena. <laughs> You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, I love it. I love it. There's so many Mainas down here in Florida and, you know, they still consider me 25%. I said, every 10 years you live in Maine, you only get 25%. So I was only there 11 years. So I'm not a true Maina, but I'm, I got a little bit in me. Um, my daughter is not so much. They're Mainers. So, but it was really about, he was trying to teach me a story about work ethic. And he said, look, I'm going to teach you a story about keep chopping wood. And I'll tell you why he goes, Steve, if you try to buy wood, um, 
in in the summertime in Maine to burn for your fuel because oil was so expensive back then. He's like, go get a wood burning stove. But let me tell you something. In the summer, it's probably 75 bucks a quart. That's all it is. And then if you screw up and you don't stack in enough wood, and we all know this story. We've all been there if you're listening to this in the state of Maine. And then all of a sudden, what happens in that gosh darn third week of March? Whack. Snow and negative two. And you're just like, this winter is going on an extra three to four weeks. And you look at your garage and you got no wood left. Well, go try to buy wood in the state of Maine that's seasoned and dry, which we all know what that means and how what a cord is. It's, it does, it's not 75 bucks at that point. It was probably 475. <laughs> so his story was, is just when you think you have enough wood, keep going, keep chopping wood, keep working hard. Just when we thought we got it figured out at Dexter Shoes in 1970, we kept on moving. We kept on being innovative. We kept on working harder than our opponents. And, and he, he was basically just talking about work ethic. Um, you know, Larry in that same chapter, um, you know, Larry was a football coach. We all know Larry was a football baseball guy from up in Aroostook County. He was a Brewer high school coach and got into the business world, you know, later in life, you know, right. after he went right. through years of teaching and coaching and took his coaching principles to, to Weber Energy Fuels. And his whole thing was, too, the both of them told the same story. They're both there is, you know, practice makes perfect is really we've heard that over and over again. Well, what does it really mean? Well, they showed me a very simple thing about practice now. These guys are in their 70s and 80s at this time, um, and they bring out a big old piece of sappy pine wood from Maine they just cut. I mean, we all know that we're not burning that stuff. And they gave me this big, dull axe. I mean, you could have hit it on your hand and it wouldn't have cut you. And I'm 36 years old, and I'm going to bust this thing open. Well, what happens? You stick that thing in, and it's jammed in there. And then I'm beating the heck out of the handle. I'm trying to get it out. I turn it sideways. Same thing happens. 10 minutes later, this thing is still there. And these guys pull out this this completely shiny hatchet. <laughs> and it, they sharpened it for like three weeks, they were telling me. And they're like, watch this. And they go, whack one hand. They split it right in half. They're like, that's because we were prepared for this meeting and you weren't. We practice all the time. Just when you think you practice enough, keep on practicing and hone your tools. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes energy. And yes, it takes sacrifices. You know, people don't realize this. But great leaders have unbelievable sacrifice, and you know how to balance yourself out. I can't tell you how many peewee hockey games I missed of Allie and Morgan because I was trying to work on my team or my program. And in the world of business, I talk about this all the time, building those relationships with your program and your organization are key that it actually takes away and sacrifices some of your personal time. And can you imagine being at a hockey rink, a multiple plex rink, and your kid's playing, and you just found out one of your new employees, two weeks ago they hired a new employee, their kid's playing two rinks over. And instead of watching your game, you grab your coffee, and you go two rinks over, and you show up, and you find them, and be like, hey, you know, Mary, how you doing? Oh, oh, how you doing, Mr. Mr. Carmichael? What are you doing here? Well, my kid's playing the other rink right now, but I wanted to come watch you, your kid. I want to come sit here, and I want to see – your son or daughter play and let's let's talk for 20 minutes you just miss your kids half your kids game but when you leave that that employee is like my god what a good person I, I, i'm gonna work hard for that person and you're building that relationship as you move forward and i think that that's a key point to happen is that you're going to sacrifice 
you know, as a leader, your own personal time sometimes in order to gain what's great for the program, which is true success. And you you use the example of of uh, going out, uh, giving up maybe some recruiting time as well as family time and visiting your players uh, while yep. they were playing summer league baseball throughout the country. Yep. A great example of that. Well, and you also talk about, uh, and and we won't go into the chapter in detail, but the 5% rule, you know, being better, 5% better working on it every day, the power of a group. But let me ask you, chapter 19, that's the final chapter. What, what does the true success really mean and how you yeah. define that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, this is kind of how I always finish up my, my speaking engagements. I try to talk, you know, when, when I'm doing all my stuff with everybody is I, I start out and talk about um, what everybody thinks success is. I said, give me the 30 second word association. What's success? And I point somebody out in the crowd and, they're, and you know, I get, well, you know, I, I want to have a stable job and provide for my family. Okay. So, so a little bit of money, you know, um, I want to send my kid, you know, give them a great education and, you know, have them be healthy and, you know, have a nice house for them to grow up in. So some possessions. And then the third one I typically get in sport is I want to win a championship. So wins and, and, and I want people to recognize that. So fame, you know, you want your, you want main savings to be on the front cover of every magazine is the best place. You want money, possessions, fame, and wins is what people think success is. And, and really what I say that is, I said, well, you know, that's okay. But you're just really, to me, you mentioned rewards. The, they're the rewards is what you're going to get. They're not really measures of success. The way true success comes, it starts with people. Value people. And you are the leader. So understand, you might... This is where your ego might come out. You have to tell yourself you're in a position to be a leader because of your leadership capabilities. So I'm good at what I do. So I am going to go find good people. Surround yourself with good people. Good things will happen. Surround yourself with bad people or what you would label as bad people. You know, bad things aren't always going to happen. You're just going to be put in some bad situations and you're going to take a lot of time away from the organization. So first and foremost, Value people and find the people that you can see yourself surrounded with inside your organization team. After that, it's the next heart. It's the hardest step. Step two to me is the relationship building part, because that's what we just we just spent five minutes on it. Going to the hockey rink and missing your kid's game, building the time. And you mentioned me going around the summer. I took over baseball in January 2017. The first game I coached, I didn't know the names of the kids on the team. In a division one program. So they didn't know me. I didn't know them. So I decided to, at the end of that year, I said, look, if you want to come back, you're welcome. And some kids were like, ah, oh, you know, forget you coach. You didn't recruit me. I'm transferring. And some guys were like, all right, I'm here. So I didn't go recruiting that summer or go to the Cape with my family. I went to every summer league team throughout the country and spent two days unannounced. I knew they were going to be there. So I show up in Butte, Montana. And they're like, Coach, what are you doing here? I'm like, you know what? I just want to take the time to come spend two days with you. I'm going to take you to lunch, take you to dinner, and watch you play. And I did that 20 times. So I'm trying to build that relationship because once I have that relationship built, the next thing happens, it's, it's, it just happens organically, is that you start to get trust and loyalty among your organization. So your players, your employees start to trust you as a leader, and they start to become extremely loyal to the program or the organization. So let's say it's Christmas Eve and it's a Thursday and everybody wants to get out of that bank at 11 a.m. And that's what we told we're going to do with everybody, <laughs> give them a little bonus. 
And then all of a sudden the board comes down with this memo that says we need the end of the year report by the end of the business day today. And you're the leader and you're like, son of a gun. I just told everybody to go home. I can't do this alone. And you got to make the announcement. I need some help. And those people, if they're loyal and they trust you, they roll their sleeves up and say, hey, we got your back. Let's get it done. Okay. We got we to pivot here. They didn't throw their hands up in the air and be like, oh my God, this is terrible. This is terrible. You know, it was it was it was a, a pivot that we had to make. And because that person had that trust and loyalty, because they went to the hockey ring to the new employee and built a relationship, that's why they were able to get that done. So my point is, is that when you can have good people, you work so hard as a leader to build those relationships and that loyalty and trust starts to happen organically. People are going to work harder for you. They're going to work harder for the organization. They're going to out, they're going to stick to the values that you set. Okay. As a, as a group and your quarterly numbers are going to go up. You're going to be coming on top. That CEO is going to hang down, hand down bonuses and they're going to buy jet skis and new houses and send kids to prep schools. And that CEO is going to do all these interviews about why they're so good. You're going to win championships in the sport world. So money possessions, fame and wins is a, is a byproduct of having true success, which is those people, relationships, trust, and loyalty. And I try to always finish up on that because I think that's where we have to focus. Now, there's a lot of steps to get to that culture that are built with your values throughout the book. You know, we talk about some great strategies that might fit the organization that you're with. But that's that's my 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 example of true success. It, that's and it's outstanding. And one of my one of my questions, and and I've got a million questions, but uh, <laughs> not not able to get to at, at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> but it was what advice for young people, for that matter, anyone who wants to be in leadership. And you've just you've just given it. And I think the second piece would be have them pick up your book and read it, uh, Steve. I, I like I said, I, we could go on for forever i just uh, love listening to you 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 bring so much to uh to talking about leadership you you walk it you 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 know you don't just talk it you walk it on a daily basis with your passion and uh i i wish you the very best uh, with the games coming up in the entire season and and hope we can get you back again in, in another time uh, sure you're just uh your role model for everybody out there who wants to aspire to be a leader and I thank you for taking the time to join us in a busy beginning of the weekend for you. Best of luck throughout the season and beyond. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. I mean, obviously, you're a great friend of mine. You're an unbelievable leader, a mentor of mine, and and I appreciate the time. And yes, the the book is available, um, you know, at all your stores and online. I mean, Amazon has it, and uh, we were pretty fortunate. It got up to number three for about a six month strep strep on Amazon, so it's done well. And I do have a web page. You can reach me there from. From the emails that's on there, it's just stevetremper.com. And, you know, if you're ever interested in having people speak, having me come in and speak, I, I really enjoy it. I don't do it full time. I only I only do it in uh, the times I'm not around my team. But I, I do enjoy meeting new people. And and believe it or not, I, I, I have book number two in the works. Uh, that's coming out soon. Yeah. And it's it's because since I've written this one, I've met so many new people that have taught me some new things. So right. uh, so we're going to keep on going with the leadership uh leadership style well we'll have you back on again in the book uh, again is walk off winning a game plan for leading your team and organization to success uh, thank you again steve uh, this is rob carmichael with mainly matters i'll be back with another episode soon and hope you'll join us then